This morning, we're continuing uh, this topic or this idea of uh, these conversations with Jesus uh, found uh, most uniquely, there are lots around the New Testament, but especially in the Gospel of John. The Gospel of John, if you'll turn in your Bibles there to the Gospel of John, we're going to look at uh, a continuing conversation we started some time ago about Jesus, some of the statements he makes to people about who he is and his situation. Now, you know, I was thinking about this uh, throughout the last couple of weeks as I was working on this, that uh, some years ago, uh, I, dis I discovered or read or heard or, or, or understood that we typically, uh, human beings typically think in pictures. You know that? It, you, you know that. You know, when, when, I, when I say, uh, we just got back from uh, Washington last week, uh, uh, and uh, if I said 1600 Pennsylvania Avenue, is this what you would, uh, is this what you'd think of? <clears throat> That's not the picture in your mind, is it? I think this is it, right? More, more like that, that if I said 1600 uh, Pennsylvania Avenue in Washington, D.C., there would be a picture that would uh, sort of uh, uh, come into your mind. If, if I said, uh, uh, if I said uh, driving a Porsche Carrera down the highway, what, what color is that car? <laughs> See, y'all are... Y'all <clears throat> all want the same one I want. <laughs> right? You know, and, and, and if we talk about... Hey, uh, you know, uh, that couch at our house that we have that sets up a little too high, when you see that, what, what, what does that couch look like? What color is it? Brown, leather, you know. Uh, some, so, so we think in pictures. Uh, hum, human beings think in pictures. And one of the things that in this conversation, Jesus gives a picture or an image uh, that I think we want to make sure that we have in our in our heart and our mind, I, I remember, and I may have told you this some time ago, you know, still on some medication, so you'll have to forgive me. Uh, but I'm not contagious, all right? Uh, so uh, the doctors tell me that. And uh, although I keep saying to those doctors, uh, they say, well, this is my practice is over here down the street. And I'm saying, well, when you quit practicing and figure this out, call me and let me know. I don't want a doctor that's practicing, you know? I want one that knows what he's doing. Uh, but but these, these images that are in our mind and, and the way we think, uh, I remember a student some years ago who came to me uh, who had this picture of himself. And uh, it wasn't in his wallet necessarily, but he uh, came to talk to me one day about the fact that he wanted to inform me about himself uh, as he was taking this class of mine. And he, and he just said to me, he said, Cliff, I need to talk to you. And I said, sure, let's, let's have a seat. And so we started talking. He said, I need to inform you let you know something about me. And I said, okay, I'd like to know something about you. And he said, I'm stupid. And I said, really? And... Uh, a lot of thoughts came to me at that moment. <clears throat> and I said, uh, really, uh, you're stupid? And he goes, yeah. And I said, uh, hmm, that's interesting uh, because uh, if you're really stupid, somebody had to tell you that because you're not smart enough to figure that out, right? <laughs> Isn't it? Yeah. I, I'm thinking, are we communicating here? <laughs> And as we talked about that, I realized that somebody had told him that he was stupid. And somehow that picture of himself got in his mind and heart. And as we talked and as we discussed matters, I realized he had this image or this picture of himself. You know what? We're going we're to talk about Jesus here in a minute. But, but this idea of thinking in pictures not only has to do with where we see locations and cars and furniture, it has a lot to do with how we see ourselves. It is a lot to how we see God. And so, I, you know, I'm talking to this guy, and we're, we're discussing these things at my desk, and I pull a, 
paper out and I said, his name was Joe actually, I said, now Joe, uh, I know you think you're stupid, but I want to show you this paper that you just did and you made a B. And he said, well, uh, you're just being nice. I said, have you met me? Do you know who I am? I don't give grades, grades I record them. He said, well, well you're, and, and for several minutes there, no kidding, uh, he, he argued with me, fought with me, told me over and over again how stupid he was. And I showed him again another picture. Uh, not, I showed him another paper uh, that he had uh, completed and said, Joe, this is not the paper of a stupid person. But you see, we think in pictures. And some of us have a, a very developed picture of ourselves. And it's in there, and for whoever knows how long or why, that picture of ourselves continues to drive us, continues to affect us, and continues to have real consequences in the way we relate to others and ourselves. That's another lesson, honest, uh, uh, honestly. But, but I want you to think about this, that there are these kind of pictures rattling around in your head and in your heart that are going around that are causing having a great impact on how you see yourself. In our passage today, Jesus gives us a picture of Himself. And I want you to look there in John chapter 10. You're there by sure by now. In John chapter 10. And Jesus makes this profound statement that we ended on a few weeks ago in John chapter 10, verse 11. I am the good shepherd. I am the good shepherd, and he lays down his life for the sheep. And I want us to think about today this picture. And so I've kind of titled this today, <clears throat> where did I put that? The picture you want to keep. The picture you want to keep. There's a picture here of Jesus I want us to keep. I want us to look at, because that's the way we think. That's the way we view things. And that's why we understand reality. Uh, number one, I want us to look at this picture as it relates to what Jesus says about the Good Shepherd. Now, before you start writing there, let me, let me give you some information here first about, about this matter, about the shepherd. Uh, my family uh, grew up in West Texas, uh, out in the area of San Angelo out there, uh, where you can stand knee-deep in water and dust blow in your face right then, same time. My grandmother told me there are frogs out there that are 14 years old that have never learned how to swim yet. I mean, it is dry... <clears throat> It is dusty. Uh, it is forsaken in some ways. Uh, I, that was the first place I ever remember that uh, Lake Nasworthy was a lake that at some time in July you could walk across it and you didn't have to be Jesus. Uh, and so big, big territory. And I think it's the place that I probably heard the term or came in contact with the term goat roper. <laughs> goat roper. Now, now, living out in West Texas, where my, my family was, uh, there was a large uh, contingent of cattle drivers and cattle people. I have several family members that are, that are real cowboys. They didn't just find the buckle in the hat. They're, they're real cowboys. And uh, San Angelo used to be, I'll just read you this, used to be the, the, the trail to Cheyenne, Wyoming for cattle drives. It was called the Charles Goodnight and Oliver Loving Trail. I was laughing a bit. It was called the Good Night Loving Trail. <laughs> Probably shouldn't comment on that. 
It was the good night loving trail where herds of cattle were driven from that area of Texas all of Cheyenne. And in that same area, because the, the ground is so arid and there's not much vegetation, there were, at one point, San Angelo was one of the largest sheep and goat herding parts of the, of, the, of the world. It was known at one time as the wool capital of the world. Now, you know what? Those cowboys didn't think very highly of those shepherds or those goat ropers. Uh, I can remember the disdain that they would talk about them and discuss them. And I knew some, my uncle and some others knew some people who were shepherds and worked with sheep and herded them and took them all. You know, you, you, you can take a herd of sheep out there and it takes 300 acres to sustain one cow because there's just not that much vegetation. But you can put three sheep out there and they can go to town and they cut it to the ground. The role of the shepherd. Uh, when, we, when I hear that, the, the role of a shepherd or a goat roper, I think of somebody that never quite could be a cowboy, right? Never, never, never quite could be a cowboy. Never could ride the horse well enough, couldn't crack the whip, or couldn't, couldn't be manly enough, you know. And I have several relatives uh, like that. But the role of the shepherd in the ancient world is a completely different picture. Uh, in, the, in the ancient world, a shepherd was a place of honor. In fact, kings in Mesopotamia uh, called themselves shepherd. Listen to Hammurabi. Boy, not, I'll, I'll read what he said. You can't listen. Hammurabi was a Mesopotamian uh, king uh, where uh, we get a code that some have suggested is similar to the Ten Commandments when he says, I, Hammurabi, the perfect king, I was not careless and I was not negligent to my dark-haired folk. Now, I've wondered what that means, you know. When he said, I was not negligent toward my dark-haired folk. I'm going to make an interpretation here. Young people. <laughs> this guy's old. <clears throat> the dark-haired folk. Anybody? Huh? Right? See? See? Dark? Right? Yeah. Remember, your hair turns gray or it turns loose. And uh, <laughs> so, you can have either one. Either one. I'll take gray. Right? <clears throat> That I was not negligent toward the dark-haired folk. In other words, I didn't neglect the young. I didn't neglect the young or those that were in need. Whom the God of Enil granted me and whose shepherding the God of Marduk gave me. The Egyptian Pharaoh was considered a shepherd. The pictures of the Egyptian Pharaoh was a shepherd with a staff. Orion, the constellation in the, in the sky known as the hunter in mythology, is called the faithful shepherd of the heavens. Throughout, Israel, uh, throughout history, shepherds have not had this mentality or this reputation of being a goat roper. Not someone that's inferior, but someone who is understood as honorable, powerful, and in leadership. Throughout the Old Testament, we know that God often spoke of Himself as the shepherd of Israel. Uh, I, 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 uh, Jacob, the patriarch, the God before whom my fathers Abraham and Isaac walked, the God who has been my shepherd all my days. Throughout the Scriptures, in fact, one of the, one of the places you might want to go read someday, that one of the most excoriating, one of the most powerful passages in the Old Testament is found in Ezekiel 34, where God takes the religious leaders to task for not being good shepherds. He, I'm going to read some of it to you here. Here, if you'll notice, are you listening? You listen to it. it's in Ezekiel, uh, chapter uh, 34, when it says this: 
Ezekiel chapter 34. Here we go. Then the word of the Lord came to Israel, crying, Son of man, prophesy against the shepherds of Israel. Prophesy and say to those shepherds, Thus the Lord said, Woe, shepherds of Israel! You have been feeding yourself, who are not shepherds, but you should be feeding the flock. You eat the fat and clothe yourselves with wool. You slaughter the sheep, feed, not feeding the flock. Those who are sickly, you have not strengthened. The diseased, you have not healed. The broken, you have not bound up. The scattered, you have not brought back. Nor have you sought for the lost, but with force and severity, you've dominated them. They were scattered for lack of a shepherd, and they became the food of every beast in the field and were scattered. My flock wandered through all the mountains and on every hill. My flock was scattered over the surface of the earth, and there was no one who would seek for them. Therefore, you shepherds, hear the word of the Lord. As I live, declares the Lord, surely because my flock has become prey, my flock has become food for all the beasts of the field, for lack of a shepherd. My shepherds did not search for my flock, but rather the shepherds fed themselves and did not feed the flocks. Therefore, shepherds, hear the word of the Lord. This Old Testament theme is throughout the Old Testament where that God says to the religious leaders of Israel, you failed. You have not been the kind of shepherd that I have asked for my people. And so Jesus comes along and says, I am the good shepherd. Now this is something these people have known they've needed for centuries, for millennia maybe even, to understand that they needed someone who cared about them. So let's look here. When Jesus says, I'm the good shepherd, how does he declare that? Because I lay my life down for the sheep. Notice there in verse 11. I am the good shepherd. I lay my life down for the sheep. Verse 12. He's a hired hand and not a shepherd who is the owner, not the owner of the sheep, sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and flees and the wolf snatches them and scatters them. He flees because he's a hired hand and not concerned about the sheep. Notice here what Jesus says. What is the characteristic of the good shepherd? He lays what? His life down for the sheep. Now, in, in Ezekiel and other places, it's pretty obvious that the shepherds before Jesus were doing anything but laying their life down for them. They were feeding themselves. They were caring for themselves. They were concerned about themselves with little or no interest for the people. Now, here, look, look what Jesus says. This idea of laying my life down. What would be the obvious answer to that? What does it mean for Jesus to lay his life down for the sheep? He died. He died, <clears throat> he died for the sheep. And you know what? That is uh, 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 verse 17 and 18. If you want to go look at that a little more, in verses 17 and 18 where Jesus talks about, he says that I lay down my life for the sheep that I may take it again. We get that, don't we? we this shepherd, this shepherd that lays his life down for the sheep. But you know, when I was reading that this week, I got to thinking, if I was a sheep, and I had a shepherd that laid his life down for me, then what? <laughs> what happens next? What is it 
that not only the shepherd that lays his life down and dies in my defense, but what about me now? Now, I, I'm not trying to press the thing too hard, but I want to ask you to consider something else. The obvious answer here that Jesus refers to is that he gave his life. He died on the cross. He rose again. Both of those ideas are there in 16, or 17 and 18. That this shepherd was willing to die in defense of the sheep, to care for them, to meet their needs. But I want you to consider something else. How would a good shepherd lay his life down every day? Susan? Yes. And she's referring back to what we discussed a couple weeks ago about that, that he is the door to the sheep pen. That when the sheep would be in the pen, he would lie down in front of the way, if you will, sort of like a door, to protect them, to care for them. I, I want to ask you, though, as you think, the ultimate expression of him laying his life down is dying. But what about the idea of Jesus as our shepherd, of laying his life down every day for us? I wrote in my notes, another understanding of this metaphor might be the daily lying down of his life for the sheep. Think about that. How would a shepherd be laying his life down every day? One would be to be attentive to the needs of the sheep. You know, again, it's a dramatic thing, if you will, for a shepherd to die for the sheep. But I want to, I want to ask you to consider that maybe that Jesus means some other things here as well, that laying his life down for the sheep isn't just this dramatic one-time thing, but something the good shepherd does every day. Have you thought about this? Yeah, Stanton. The shepherds were not supernaturally social creatures because in order to take care of the sheep, they had to sacrifice social events. Yep. Yeah, they weren't a social group. Yeah. So that is a continual sacrifice yeah. to yeah. serve the sheep. For the recording, here's the idea that, again, because this is a lonely profession, and you're following, if you will, the, the trail to be able to feed them, that the shepherd was willing to separate himself from the social conventions of the day, if you will, or social interactions with others <clears throat> in order to care for the sheep. That's laying your life down. I wrote, what about this? To fix the things the sheep have messed up. <laughs> Do sheep do anything goofy? You know, I, you read about this, and you know, I, I'm not a, a, a sheepologist, uh, or, or, you know, uh, uh, but the idea that but they're considered to be some of the dumbest animals on the planet. Can I get an amen here? <laughs> they're, they're considered to be, and, and 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 they're not only dumb, they're defenseless. They don't have any big teeth. They don't have any big claws. And how the shepherd has to go and fix, if you will, things that they mess up all the time. He's laying his life down. I, I noticed, I wrote this. What about, what about this? When you read about shepherds to lay their life down, to move at the speed of the sheep. Think about that for a second. When the shepherd moves the flock at the speed that the sheep can handle it. I grew up, I'll just tell you, I grew up with the notion that Jesus was a cattle driver. <laughs> and he was behind me with a whip. <laughs> and, you know, you just needed to get, think, let's move along little doggy. That, you know, it's kind of my mentality. 
But when you study these shepherds who are out there in these pastoral ex experiences, what they discover is, is these shepherds understand the speed that the sheep can move. I, I wonder if, again, this is laying his life down for them to not be preoccupied with his own needs, but the needs of the sheep. I'm trying to get you to think like this or try to consider that this good shepherd not only does this dramatic matter of dying, no, no question, but a good shepherd is going to lay his life down in a thousand different ways in a thousand different days. That this shepherd is going to be willing to say whatever the needs of the sheep are, is what I'm going to do. Could you imagine that Jesus, as your good shepherd, would consider you and I that much? That He would be willing to say, I'm going to lay my life down, Cliff, to enable you to follow me and to live the life that I know you can live. That was not part of my mentality some years ago. This idea of less dramatic, maybe, if you will, that the idea of of, of, of laying his life down on a day-to-day -day basis. I'll tell you a story about this. It reminds me. had a student about 20-something years ago. You don't know who he is. I, you, he, he would call me up and go, Hey, Cliff. I'm just like that. And I go, Hey. And I call his name. He go, How'd you know it was me? <laughs> I'm not kidding. he go, Hey, Cliff. Call his name. How'd you know it was me? Oh, just a wild guess. <clears throat> For long years, uh, this guy had come to school and uh, was preparing uh, to go in ministry. And he loved school, and his wife and kids came along with him, and uh, it was a great thing. Uh, they, you know, they wanted him to get the training. Uh, this guy, however, uh, seemed to have little interest in going to work. Uh, he didn't mind going to class, and he didn't mind taking tests, and he didn't mind hanging around the library arguing with people, but he really, he really didn't, uh, my dad would say, he wasn't that work brittle. <laughs> he, he, he didn't seem to have a lot of interest in, in getting a job. Uh, I guess he thought this was my last chance to, to live off of whatever. So his wife went to work, and his kids, or his wife went to work, and he had two kids, and and I remember uh, after a while, this uh, became to become wearing on this uh, wife. Uh, you know, she, she, she said, you know, it would be helpful if you'd get a job. And uh, I, I think she probably needed to use a few more words there, but uh, uh, it would be helpful if you would get a job and, and help provide for the family. It didn't, it didn't seem to affect him. Now, she'd come from some amount of means in her family in her past, and and this began to get a little embarrassing because for her, I'm not saying it is bad, I'm saying for she had to get some assistance to the government. And it was tough on her. Uh, she had grown up with means, and, and this was hard. And she kept uh, saying to her husband, you know, we wouldn't have to do this if you'd get a job, if you'd just go to work, if you'd just help provide. I'm busy, I'm going to class, you know, like that. So anyway, I, I counseled with him a little bit, on and off, until I found out what he was doing. And... <laughs> As we talked and discussed this, he, he, just, he became just more resistant. Anyway, long story short, she decided she was going to move back to her hometown with the kids. And I'll never forget this because uh, she decided, she goes, I just can't live like this anymore. I, it's too hard. It's too difficult. Uh, my husband won't get a job. And so uh, uh, she decided to move home. And I remember him coming to my office crying uncontrollably. And I said, what's the problem? And he explained to me, 
And then he said this. He said, I, I would die for my family. I would die. Now, he's crying. And I'm not real emotionally reactive to begin with. So I'm listening while he's talking. And I see his lips moving, but I'm, I'm wondering what is he saying here. And he said, I would, he said, I would die for my, and he's crying over. And I said, stop it. This is again why I'm probably not a pastor anymore. <clears throat> stop it. He said, what? <laughs> you know, because I'm not too worried. I'm not too moved right now. <laughs> and I said, hey man, here's your problem. Okay, here's your problem. Yep, you want to do something real dramatic like die for your family. You want to do some big thing where we'll have a big funeral for you and eat chicken and talk about what a great guy you were. That'd be awesome, man. You'd love that. That's dramatic. That's wonderful. That's great. But you don't have the guts to get up every day and go to work and pay your life on a day-to-day -day basis to care for your family. Now, get out of my office. In Jesus' name. <laughs> Jarhead. And by the way, I don't mean to in, in, insult any Marines. <laughs> Jarhead. You know what? He wanted to do something dramatic. He didn't want to lay his life down every morning at six o'clock in the morning, go to work at a job he hated. He didn't want to lay his life down and have to put up with the strain and the struggle of having to work at a job and, and come home and, and have to deal with kids and go to work. He didn't want that. He wanted something really dramatic. Now listen, Jesus did something really dramatic. He died on the cross for us. But we don't understand this shepherd if we think that's all he did. He's laying his life down every day for us. This shepherd came back from the grave and he lives every day. And I know this sounds crazy, but I want to say this to you. He is willing to lay his life down today for you. How does he do that? Number one, he lays his life down, I think, in this regard. He's available to you and me to pray at any moment of the day. He doesn't say, well, you've got to come at a certain time. Or you've got to come a certain way. Or you know what? You're not using the right words. He's laying his life down to say, you can come to me at any moment. You can come to me at any time. He's laying his life down. Another one I wrote here, he, he's laying his life down. And James 4 says, if we'll draw near to God, he'll draw near to us. Notice that. He's laying his life down. He's saying, if you'll draw near to me, I'll draw near to you. In John 6, earlier he says, whoever comes to me, I'll never cast him out. He's laying his life down. Come to me, all you're weary and heavy laden, and I'll give you rest. Doesn't mean you have to fix your life. Doesn't mean you have to get it straightened out. It means if you'll come to me, I'll give you rest. Here's the idea. The good shepherd lays his life down for the sheep. I heard a guy say it this way at the prayer breakfast. This idea. That Jesus is the God who submits. He submits to meet our needs. He submits to hear our cry.
He submits to fix the messes we've made. He submits to respond to us when we've gone every other direction first. He lays His life down. I would like to get that picture in your mind. I'd like to get that picture in my mind and heart. That the good shepherd lays his life down for the sheep. When Gary and I got back, we were talking on the plane, and, and uh, you know, I was waiting for him to get on the plane, and, and we were discussing. I thought, you know, when I leave the National Prayer Breakers, I love it and hate it. I love it because I meet so many incredible people who are learning to follow Jesus. And then I hate it because I sometimes say, it seems to me that they know Him in a personal way that I don't. In a dimension that I don't. And so I, 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 I love it and I hate it because so often I don't see in my own heart and mind, not that it isn't true, but I don't see it, is that Jesus is laying His life down for me today. Did you know that? He's laying His life down for you today. What do you need? He's got it. What, do you, what, what are you wanting? He's got it. He's just waiting. He's just saying, you know, I, I'm laying my life down. That I'm not going to force my way in. I'm not going to press my way in. But I'm, a, I'm available to you. I've laid my life down for you. I, I think we've tamed Jesus down. I think this idea of His willingness to lay His life down for us is just a religious idea. Instead of, if you will, this understanding that He'll lay His life down in a million different ways, in a million different places for our lives. And notice what Jesus does. He does some contrast here. Let's go on now. He does some contrast here when He says, He who is a hired hand and not a shepherd is not the owner of the sheep, sees the wolf coming, leaves the sheep and flees, and the wolf snatches them and scatters them. He flees because He's a hired hand and He's not concerned about the sheep. Jesus indicates that that, that a hired hand leaves at the first sign of trouble. That's not this shepherd. Have you heard people talk like this? You know, when I got into trouble or had a problem, I wondered where the Lord was. Let me tell you where He is. With you. With us. It's the hired hand that runs off when things get tough. It's the hired hand who deserts. It doesn't care about the sheep. It's the hired hand who decides it's time to get out of here. This is getting too dangerous. It's Jesus who stays and remains and continues. See, with a hired hand, you get his hands, but you don't get his heart. With a good shepherd, you get both his hands and his heart. You get both his hands and his heart to care and to be concerned about you. Life is concerning this good shepherd. I, I want you to think about this this week here, just in this matter. What if this Monday you begin to identify one way in which Jesus is being a good shepherd in your life. How He's laying His life down for you. For, for some of us, this, this <laughs> we may say, well, I don't know. I, I, I think that, that in some ways that we tend to think of this relationship with Jesus, that it's all about serving. It's all about serving Him. It's all about working. It's all about doing. But this relationship that this shepherd has is to lay his life down for you. To lay his life down. Have you been a Christian too long? Have I been a Christian too long? That we don't even hear this anymore. 
we don't even hear. He's laying His life down for us. So what would you do this week if you could identify one way in which Jesus, as the Good Shepherd, is laying His life down for you? I tell my students this all the time. I say, you know, one of the ways that Jesus laid His life down is He's made Himself available to you in prayer. I said, Jesus is more available to you than I am. You know, I've got a cell phone and all this kind of technology. But you know what? You can't always get a hold of me. But you know what? When you open your heart and your mouth and your life to Jesus, He is there ready to hear you. He's there ready to respond. He's there ready to be. Now let's move on here. <clears throat> Second thing in this man, the good shepherd knows and is known. Look at verses 14 and 15. I'm the good shepherd... And I know my own, and my own know me. Even as the Father knows me, and I know the Father, and I lay down my life for the sheep. Now, it's interesting to me uh, in this regard that Jesus says, I know my sheep, or I am the good shepherd. I know my own, and my own know me. At least in my thinking on this, as I was uh, trying to work through this, it is the idea of this f fantastic truth of the gospel. That God is not only known, He not only knows us, but can be known. If you study the ancient literature of the, of the ancient uh, Near East, one of the things that seems to be a constant throughout them is that the gods of the ancient world are unknowable. You cannot know them. They are unpredictable. They are unreliable. Uh, there is very little information about them. And you cannot, if you will, even know them. The, the, the Scripture, although takes the other way, the other idea, is that this God can be known. This God can be experienced. This God can be known in our life. Look at this word here. And I know my own, and my own know me. Now the Greek word here, know, as you might know <laughs> or understand, is that this word know here means more than tactical information, right? It, it means more than just some accumulation of knowledge and information. The word here, know, ginosko, and a couple of derivatives of it, suggest knowledge that is personal and intimate. Not knowledge that is, that is personal and intimate. It's like I know Becky. I mean, y'all know her name, but I know her. When I can see a, an expression come on her face, I either know I'm in trouble or things are good. <laughs> right? I, I, she can come home from work and I say, how's work? Fine. Okay, what happened? Nothing. Yes, it did. I've been swapping spit with you for 35 years. <laughs> in Texas, we call that kissing. <clears throat> you know? Huh? Yeah, I'm not looking at it right now. <laughs> not looking that way. Uh, but, but, but the idea of knowing, uh, of knowing is not just information. It's not just an accumulation of information here. It's the idea of, of, of intimate personal knowledge. One of the most profound experiences, and I, you can't live your life on experience, but Jesus said, I know my sheep. They know me. 
I remember I was struggling with a situation years ago. I just a, it wasn't particularly sinful. It was just an area of my life that I felt just so powerless to deal with. And, and, and it was a fear that I had. An anxiety that he had about a situation. Again, it wasn't sinful, but, but it was anxiety. It was fear. And I, I was going to the Lord and I just said to him, Lord, I just don't know if I can do this. And, and I said it with some fear. Because, you know, I kind of was taught that if you feel like you can't do something, you need to do it. Come on, do it. And so I, I just, in a moment of weakness, I just said, Lord, I... I just don't know if I can do this. And I braced myself. I braced myself for I can do all things that, you know, <clears throat> that God would start giving me His Word. <clears throat> and, and one of the most profound things happened was this. I, I don't hear words. I mean, it's not like I can hear God. But I, I heard in my spirit, I heard the Lord say this to me. I know, Cliff. I know. And I waited. I waited for the, but you're going to be able, you know. And I just waited. And I heard it again. I know, Cliff. I know. It's like everything inside of me broke apart. It wasn't, I know, and so we're going to get this fixed. I know, and so if you'll trust me, we can get this done. I know, and so uh, he just said, Cliff, I know you so well. I know this is why this is hard for you. And that was it. I, I, I could... I mean, I can take you back. To, it, it was the most profound experience I'd had with God. For Him just to say, I know. I know. Does your shepherd know you? Does He know those little areas and those goofy parts of you? They're not sinful. They're not bad. They're just weaknesses. They're goofy places. Certainly knows our sin, our issue. But, but those little areas in our life that we keep trying to hide from Him, and we keep trying to say, oh, I don't want God to see this, as if we could stop Him. Instead of saying, I know my sheep. I know them. I know everything about them. I know their weakness. I know their strength. I know, I know their hang-ups. I know their problems. It's unthinkable to me that God would say to me or say to you, the, uh, the idea here that I know, Cliff, I know, I understand this. I, I have knowledge of you. I know all about you. And sometimes I think the picture we have of God, again, not this shepherd that's the good shepherd that lays his life down, that leads us, is this cattle driver with a whip in his back pocket and ready to drive us and say, we're going to get past this. I know my sheep. I, I did some reading about this, and I got to hurry. But you know, when a when a shepherd has a sheep that's a little rambunctious <coughs> or a little headstrong, there are stories to tell how that that shepherd knows that what they need to do is stay closer to that sheep. And so there's some other sheep over here, but they need, but we're we're just going to get a little closer over here, and we're going to spend a little more time with this one. He's a little more. Headstrong, he's a little more rambunctious. We're going we're to spend a little more time with him to, 
to help, help him understand my voice and help him understand my concern for him. He knows us. And notice right here, it says right here, and my sheep know me. They know me. What, what, do, you, what do you know? What do you know about Jesus? What, what, do, you, what do you know about him? I've tried to spend the last year studying and reading only in the Gospels. Because in the last couple of years I've thought, what do I know about Him? Do I, do I know enough about Him? Do, do I have life and experience with Him? He knows me, and I know some things about Him. And, and I will tell you, I'm, I'm learning that as I study and as I grow more and more what I'm trying to learn is, does this sound like Jesus? Or does this sound like religion? Or does this sound like rules? Or does this sound like just regulation? Or does this sound like Jesus? Does it sound like Him? And I'm trying to tune my ear and trying to listen a little closer so I could say, I, I know Him. And there's a couple of passages here I'm going to give you just really quickly and we'll get out of here. But this idea of knowing Him, this idea of knowing the shepherd, I don't have enough time, but I'm going to give you several verses. You can write these down. John 17, 3. <clears throat> John 17, 3. Philippians 3, 8, and 10. Philippians 3, 8, and 10. And 2 Peter 1, 2 through 3. 2 Peter 1, 2 through 3. My life verse, or one of them, that would be a lie. I got like 12 of them. Okay, so <laughs> this week. No. Now, this is, this is one of those that, that I've lived in and, and understood because it, it changed my entire understanding of the shepherd. In this, when Jesus said in John 17, 3, this is eternal life. Man, when I read that, my ears perked up. I'd like some of that. Anybody want any of that? This is eternal life. What is it, Jesus? That they may know you, O God, and Jesus Christ, whom you sent. What is salvation? It's to know Him. For, for many years, I probably labored with the idea that salvation was <clears throat> repenting of my sins and asking God for forgiveness, which is all part of it. But years and years ago, back when I was a pastor, I began to make some distinction there about knowing about God and knowing Him. That's this Greek word again. Personal, intimate knowledge. Is, is our understanding of the shepherd that we know him? I'm not talking about knowing about we, we got to know about him, and that's part of the process, right? But do we know him? Do we have personal, intimate relationship with him? Is our life characterized by knowing, not about Him, but knowing Him. Jesus said, this is what eternal life is, that they might know you. 
I've told Becky this before, and <clears throat> probably some of you. You know, I, I, I love to study theology, <clears throat> and I love, I, I love to read, and I, I like to, to study in the Scriptures. But the real growing edge of my life for the last probably 15 years is trying to say and trying to live and trying to experience the fact, do I know Him? There's a song I hear you say, Oh, I want to know you more. Oh, I want to know you more, more about you, O oh Lord. How I want to know you more. You satisfied? Is your knowledge of Him such an extent that it's what motivates you and moves you? I don't read the Bible to learn information or read the, or, or pray just to get more information so I can win arguments. <laughs> Although I don't mind that. <laughs> But the idea of getting to know Him. I know that sounds kind of fuzzy, doesn't it? It sounds kind of, kind of strange. But it's what the New Testament teaches over and over and over again. That you might know Him. That you might know Him in personal, intimate terms. I'm going to finish here today. I, I, I want to ask you to consider doing this. What if this week you invested some time in knowing the shepherd and being known? To take some time with your Bible and a journal. Jot down what you learned about the shepherd and yourself this week. Is there something you need to learn about yourself? Is there something you need to learn about the shepherd? If you just take some time with your Bible, maybe in a journal, to sit down and say, what are you learning? What are you learning about the shepherd? What do you, what do you know? What, how is your life being developed and formed? I pray this prayer every day, and you can pray it if you want to. You don't have to. But it goes a little bit like this. Lord, that I would see you more clearly. And I would love you more dearly. So I can follow you more nearly, day by day. It's not, not unique with me. It comes from God's spell if you're... My age, you remember that. That, that. that I would see you more clearly as the good shepherd. I would see you more clearly. It's my judgment that if I see you more clearly, I will love you more dearly. And as a consequence of that, to follow you more nearly, day by day. God bless you. Amen. I'll see you next week.